Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, folks, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be all over the place today. And so I want your hands to be ready. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles and uh, open them up with me uh, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 will be the first place that we stop today. We'll be looking at, in view of the 4th of July, we'll be looking at the believer's responsibility uh, to the government. What is the believer's responsibility to the government? And obviously today, we'll ask that question in a unique way because we'll ask that question and we'll have to answer that question from Scripture is, what is the American's responsibility to the government? And in some ways, that will look different as to what someone of a foreign country, what their responsibilities uh, and, and how they may look different to the government as governments are different in and of themselves. The great theologian Augustine once said that government is a necessary evil. It's necessary because people are evil. And we certainly can appreciate that statement. I'm sure that over the course of time, at one point or another, you have been let down by your government or by your system of government or by someone in the government. And you have acknowledged when you have seen that, when you have observed that and experienced that, you have felt the pain of the fallenness of this earth. Over the course of human history, governments have been given to mankind as a kind of common grace. Governments throughout history, and I'm, of course, speaking generally here, have served as a common grace in that they have restrained evil, Uh, They have prevented the society from becoming as evil as it possibly can by uh, punishing uh, wrongdoers, by promoting morality, by providing justice. And then you observe that when governments do not do those things, that society begins to fall apart. And society uh, in, becomes uh, like the, the book of Judges. Every man does what is right in their own eyes. A keen observer may look at our nation today and may say that we are in a similar circumstance. Generally speaking, throughout world history, governments have served mankind well. And obviously they have failed And they, some have failed less than others, but all have failed. And that's what happens when you have fallen people. But, you know, I'm thankful to God for that common grace of government. And I'm thankful for the government that we serve and the nation that we are a part of. And so today I want us to look at and answer the question, what is our responsibility to our government? And we'll also answer the question, what is the believer's responsibility to the government in that as Americans it will look slightly uh, different. If you have your Bibles, Romans uh, chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, begin reading in verse 1. This will be our platform text for today. I know I told you uh, 1 Timothy, so all of you are there. But let's use a platform text of Romans 13 today. 
Romans 13, begin reading in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I beg you now uh, for this brief time that we have together that you would speak through me that we would, as believers, see how we are to interact with our government and what are our responsibilities to our government as blood-bought believers. So speak through me today, please, Lord, and use my weaknesses to demonstrate your power, and I'll be very careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want you to note what we're not talking about today. I am not talking to you today, which we could go in at great length, what a God-given government's responsibility is to its citizens. We're not talking about that today. We could, we could explore that in Romans chapter 13 and see what are the things that God expects of governments amongst mankind in restraining that evil in carrying the sword and in punishing and in bringing justice uh, to wrongdoers. We're not looking at the go government's responsibility as given them by God, but today we're looking at what are our responsibilities to the government. And I have a few points today, just a few words that I want to give you as you ask that question. Number one, if you're taking notes today, of our responsibility to the government, you have a responsibility, a paramount responsibility to pray. Everybody say, pray. pray, pray. One of the greatest privileges afforded to the believer is that we fallen creatures who have been, not by any of our own good works, but by the work of Jesus Christ, have been bought by his blood, and we are able to, with confidence, come before the throne of grace and to pray to the Almighty. What an honor it is, and what a privilege that we so often forfeit, that we so often overlook, that we so often do not use. And yet the Scripture tells us that the believer, the blood-bought believer, has an obligation to their government, whether that be in America or Rome or China or Russia, the believer has an obligation to pray for your government. First Timothy chapter 2, that original text that I told you to turn to, begin reading in verse 1. 
Paul says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says this is a matter of fact and is a matter of utmost importance that you and I ought to pray for our governing officials. Note what is not said here today. Paul did not say, pray for the governing officials that you like. Now, a lot of us would prefer that he had said that. We would like to pray for those officials with whom we most with whom we most identify, the platform or the party which we can most get along with. But that's not what the Scripture says here. As a matter of fact, Paul is telling this to believers who are underneath the authority of Roman rule. Now, just for clarity here today, the Roman rule that would have been during this time would have been a a time of Uh, vast immorality and wickedness from the top down. And Paul tells believers, he instructs young Timothy to convey to his church, pray for your leaders. Can I ask you a question today, believer? If the Lord were to come down this week and to answer all of the prayers that you prayed this week, Would your government benefit at all? Would the people around you benefit at all? Have you prayed for your president this week? Have you prayed for your representatives today? Well, I think that you'll find that it's a whole lot easier to complain about people than it is to pray about people. Don't you find that that's the case? It's a whole lot easier for me to complain about people than it is to pray for people. But, you know, I have found that when I begin to pray for people, it's a lot harder for me to complain about people. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be a complainer or would you rather be a prayer? Do you really feel good after you complain? Now, listen, I'm preaching to the choir here, and I know I'm stepping on a bunch of toes. And each of you are waiting right now for me to say just the wrong word to get frustrated with here. But let me tell you, my friends, the Scripture makes it clear that we are to pray for our leaders. Are you praying for your leaders Or are you complaining for it, your leaders? Paul here gives a list of ways in which we should pray for them. He uses several different words in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The first word that he uses is the word supplication. That means that we are to pray personally. Pray personally. Uh, The Greek word uh, for supplication speaks of lack and of personal need, and it carries with it the idea of urgency. Have you gone to the Lord this week in urgency, personally, and praying for your government, for your leaders, and for your city? Lord, I beg you for wisdom and guidance for our leaders. We need it desperately. When's the last time that you did so passionately or as a matter of personal need? Don't you know that it's incredibly important, the leader that we have? 
Amen? It's, incre it's an incredibly important position. And the, the decisions that our leaders have to make each and every day are going to affect us. Are you praying for your leader? I want you to pray for your leader like you would pray for your pilot when you get on an airplane. You know, if, you're, if your pilot uh, is expressing some uh, concern about the plane and about his ability over the intercom, I guarantee you up in the air, you and I are going to begin to pray for that pilot. Are you praying for our leaders today by name? Now, I, I know that I'm in here and uh, there are vast opinions on politics within this room. I know, that, I know that to be the case, and, and I know that there probably uh, leans in this room one side more than the other. But let me tell you this. Pray for your leaders. Pray personally for your leaders. Pray with urgency for your leaders. When's the last time you cried for your president? And I'm not talking about crying because you're sad that the person who is in that office, whether now or later or before, is there. I'm saying, when's the last time you cried praying for that person? Out of empathy, out of love. Well, I got a feeling in here today that if you're anything like fallen Josh, like your fallen pastor, it's a lot easier to complain than it is to pray. Amen. My friends, pray for your president. Pray for your governor. Amen. Pray for your vice president. Pray for your senators and for our mayor. Pray for those people who are in those positions and pray personally. But the second word he uses here is just the word prayer. It's the word that we just translate in prayer. But you, I want you to notice that in the Greek, this word that is translated into prayer in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 1 is only used in Scripture in reference to God. And so it's a, it's a consistent and worshipful prayer. Did you know that it is an act of worship to our God for you to pray for your leaders? Amen. You're being obedient. And what does God command as, uh, as a matter of worship? Our obedience. He desires uh, obedience and not sacrifice. My friends, pray for our leaders. The scripture commands that we pray personally, that we pray worshipfully, that we pray passionately. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then that supplications, prayers, and intercessions... The idea with that word is familiarity, to fall in with someone or to get involved. That means where this person's going, I know I'm going to be in their same boat. Are you praying for your leaders uh, in a way that is as a, an, an act of intercession? Are you praying to God familiarly with those people? My friends, our obligation to God to our government, from God to our government, is to pray. But not only that, he says, with thanksgivings, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Now, I want you to know that you ought to be thankful for your government. We ought to be thankful for our government. 
Now, there's not a lot of amens going on today. Now, I understand that today. I'm getting, I'm, you know what, you guys really aren't a bunch of ameners in this room anyways. And so I'm just kind of perpetuating that amongst you anyways. But the scripture tells us that we are to thank God for those leaders that he's placed over us. We ought to thank God for his government. And if there's ever been a nation that ought to thank God for their government, it ought to be us. I mean, look at all of the freedoms that we enjoy. Look at all of the privileges that we have. Yes, we live in an evil, wicked time where what's right is being called wrong, and what's wrong is being called right, and all of it is mixed up from the top down, uh, from the bottom up. I understand that, but don't forget how blessed we are to be here today. Amen. Now, God directs Paul to write this to young Timothy underneath Roman rule. And he knows God, our sovereign God, knows what is about to happen. Rome is about to persecute severely those who are of the faith. And yet what does God command Paul to write to Timothy and to us today? Be thankful. Show gratitude. Thank God for the nation that you're in. Spend time in prayer for them and, and thank them. You have an obligation from God to the government to pray, number one. Number two, we have an obligation from God to the government to pay. To pay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I listen. I already know there's going to be no amens, okay? Point number two has zero amens. But the scripture makes it clear that we are to pay. You've heard it said two things are certain, death and taxes. And in America, you can com combine the both and they'll tax you after you're dead too. <laughs> it's not a fun subject to talk about, especially if you look around and you see funds being spent so frivolously and without regard to a nation's wel welfare, you may ask yourself, why? Josh, why should I pay my taxes? I'll tell you why. Because God told us to. Amen. Amen. God told us to pay our taxes. Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7, that platform passage that we used earlier to direct us to this place. For because of this, you also pay taxes. And then in verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Josh, why should I pay my taxes? I know every year around March and April, as it gets around that time, things get testy around the hall house. And Josh begins talking about all of the things that we're not doing and all the things we should be doing, and here we are, and it's tax time. We all get frustrated around that time, get a little nervous. It's a complex system trying to figure out how to do the right thing and, and still make ends meet. And you may be asking yourself, Josh, I look at what I got, I look at our government, and perhaps I may ask, why should I pay my taxes? Is it because they commanded it? No, it's because God commands it. Is it because we have a good government? No, you do not pay your taxes because you have a good government. You pay your taxes because you have a good God. Do we pay our taxes because of the quality of what we are receiving as citizens of government? No. We pay our taxes because of the quality of God that we have. You see, when we 
when we forfeited ourselves, when we repented of our sins and gave our lives to Jesus, we said, you are master, you are Lord, and uh, we will follow you wherever you go. We'll do whatever you say. But then, as Americans, uh, that little rowdy spirit in us often flares up using that pride in our flesh, and we'll say, Lord, we'll follow you. Oh, but what Josh is saying today Pay my taxes. Oh, man. Now, I know in here all of you pay your taxes. Uh, I'd, I'd be preaching to you in a jail cell if you didn't, I'm sure. And I love preaching from there as well. But we ought to joyfully, we ought to, as a matter of worship, pay our taxes. Now, I want you to know, I'm stepping on my own toes here. I'm telling you, I fell at this. But if God's commanded us to do something, you tell me, which is the one who does it correctly? Is it the child who obeys him joyfully or is it the child who obeys him begrudgingly? Who gets more of a blessing? Joyful. The joyful. And I think you'll find this year that if as you're uh, processing all of those tedious things that has to do with your taxes, if you do it as an act of worship and obedience to God, I think you'll find your attitude will be different. And I think you'll find your reward will be different. Amen. We ought to pay our taxes. Jesus affirms this in Matthew chapter 15 and verses 15 through 21. The Pharisees come to Jesus to try to entrap him. You know, I, I think of how awesome Jesus is. I fall into almost every trap that could be laid for me. That's how, that's how unthoughtful I can be. And yet Jesus navigated all of them perfectly. One of them that seems impossible for him to have answered correctly is when the, the, the leaders of Israel gathered around him, the teachers, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Verse 17 of Matthew 15, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is an impossible question, it seems, for Jesus to answer. Rome, here Rome is in the promised land. God's people in God's promised place that he promised to give them all of it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. If you just obey me and if you keep my commandments and my laws and you stay faithful to me, this will be your place. I'm going to multiply you and you're going to have all of these blessings. Here God's people are on God's turf and they're ruled by what seems like Satan himself. And so these teachers think they really got Jesus in a tight spot. Jesus, we know that you're a good teacher. We know that you see everything rightly. So, and we know that you're not swayed by appearances. So should we pay taxes to Satan or not? Caesar, Satan, what's the difference to the Jewish people? He's a wicked man and he's, our king is not really on the throne. He's ruling. Should we pay taxes or not? Notice what Jesus says. Verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Right, like a 
mini sermon here is when you look at that passage and you realize that he's saying, look at the image of that coin. That belongs to the Caesar. Go look in a mirror. What image were you made in? That belongs to God. Right? How awesome is, is that? But the point here is not only are we to pray, but we are to pay. Be a good steward of the resources that God gave you and be faithful and obedient in that act of paying our taxes. Number three, obey. We're to pray. We're to pay. We're to obey. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That word subject is a military term. I'm bringing myself underneath the authority of personnel that is over me. And we as God's people, we're told, we're commanded here, Paul commands, or God commands through Paul to the very church at Rome, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now, why does he say that? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. My friends, what is our obligation from God to our government? We're to pray, we're to pay, we're to obey. We're to obey the laws of the land. We're to submit ourselves willingly to the laws of the land. Uh, no matter how menial those laws may be. Sometimes we get in a hurry when we're driving and we break the speed, I, speed limit was the only answer, but I was hoping I could uh, revive some of you here today. We break the speed limit. We go a little bit faster than we ought to. Believers, obey the law. Now, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself, obey the law. Do as the law commands. Obey. We ought to be those people who submit uh, to the government willingly. Let a person subject himself to the governing authorities. We ought to do so willingly. We ought to also, as far as we can, submit quietly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, the scripture says, And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We get this wrong more than we get it right. Uh, we ought to do our best to, as we can, keep our nose in our own business. Now, you can extrapolate that and make that into something that I have not said. I want to encourage you not to do that. But we are to be those who to submit quietly. When, when our government looks at us, they ought to see a peaceful, kind, loving, submissive people to them. Amen. Not because of the quality they provide or not because they treat us good, but because we belong to a better kingdom. We belong to God. Therefore, we submit willingly. We submit even quietly. Listen, you submit by participating. You submit by participating. In America, we have a privilege that is not afforded to most people on planet Earth. You and I can vote. 
You and I can support candidates. You and I can, can help to make effective change in, in laws. And we ought to do so. We ought to submit by participating. The believer, while we should live quiet lives, we should be people who are active in the government that God has gave us. Now, I can't say this to every other country because every other country and government isn't built this same way, but we have been given this right, and we ought to exercise it. You ought to go into the ballot box as a, as a form of worship. Lord, please guide me to the, the person that you would have uh, for me to vote for, the person who most... Uh, who, who follows your will most, who will shape legislation uh, and who will lead in a way that uh, is most in line with your word. We are to submit by participating. But, but finally, I want you to see we're to submit conditionally. Yeah. We're to submit conditionally. First of all, our authority is who? It's God. So if there's ever a point in which our governments direct us to do something outside of or different than what God has commanded us, then we uh, acquiesce to the higher authority, that, which is God. We submit conditionally. Amen. Peter and John said the same thing when standing before the religious uh, council in Acts chapter 4 and verses 19 through 20, being reprimanded for proclaiming the gospel to Jewish people and causing an uproar, they commanded them to never do it again. And Peter and John answered them in Acts chapter 4 and verses 19 through 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You and I are to submit to the government, but we do not submit to them over the authority of God. If God ever commands you to do one thing and your government commands you to do the other thing, you say like Martin Luther, I can't do it. Here I stand. I can have no other. I have a higher authority. Those first Christians persecuted by Rome would live lives that are peaceful and then yet when, when they could not bow the knee to Caesar and when they must call Jesus Lord above that, they faced the ultimate price. They had the ultimate sacrifice. And it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't pleasant Christians thrown into the Colosseum while everyone gathered around and cheered, lions would rip them apart. And oftentimes, they weren't, the reason for their execution wasn't because they were a Christian. So they didn't even have the satisfaction of everyone else out there believing that they were dying for their faith. They were told all types of lies about these rebellious, insurrectionist people. Rather, they just wanted to devote themselves to the Lord. To everyone in the assembly who saw them die, they were just another wrongdoer. But they submitted to God rather than man. Amen. Should the time come, believer, your authority is God first. Amen. And then man. Well, we are to pray, we are to pay, we are to obey. And finally, I want you to see with me today, we are to proclaim. Amen. We're to proclaim. 
This is the most active, it seems, and it seems to be the most important role that we have as believers with regards to our government. We are to be those who proclaim and those who preach the gospel. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He says that Christians preach both to the Democrats and to the Republicans repentance and faith. That's maybe the Josh version of that. I can't say anything quite like Adrian Rogers did. I understand that. But that is our goal. We are to proclaim. Let me give you four ways in which we proclaim. Number one, we stand up for that which is right. We stand up for that which is right. Proverbs 13 and verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Brothers and sisters, we ought to stand up for what is right. And don't let anyone put you down or don't let anyone uh, bully you into thinking that you and I should not stand up for what is scripturally right. We ought to be those believers who in amongst our, uh, our nation, we are to be salt and, and light and to, to pervade our society. For those who would say uh, uh, laws uh, can't be moral or based on scripture, that's all law is, is morality. And we should prefer it to be based on absolute truth rather than things that are not truth. And so we ought to stand up for that which is right. We are to stand against that which is wrong. Proverbs 29 and verse 2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. We're to stand against that which is wrong. I am proud that from this pulpit and in our church, we uh, unashamedly stand for the right for a child to be born. And the fact that and the fact that, that we're even having that conversation or that that conversation has even even gone on beyond a second. Like you would think that we would have the conversation and we would say does a child have a right to be born? And it would take like one second. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, they have a right at least to be born. But it's gone on for decades. I'm proud that we stand unreservedly as pro-life. That's where I stand. That's where I'm going to continue to stand. We speak against wickedness and murder. We speak against racism. We speak against all of the evil things of our society knowing that even in our own flesh there are sins that ensnare us, pride that ensnares us, but we stand up against that which is wrong. Amen. Today in a, in a world when we're taught that, that we are wicked and evil for proclaiming truth, for saying that you were born a male or you were born a female and those things don't change, when that's called wicked, when that's called uh, intolerant, we say, listen, we proclaim the truth. We stand up for that which is wrong wrong. Amen. I know you're getting, oh, well, well, a lot of you are with me, but I know some of you may be saying, well, Josh, this is getting political. No. What's wrong is wrong, not because the government said it, right. but it's wrong because God said it. Amen. And it's very, Amen. very unloving for us to, to not proclaim those things that are wrong. How wicked we, would we have to be to allow someone to pursue wickedness and evil without a warning? That there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end result is death. How wicked would we have to be to allow them to continue to move without us saying, Stop! Death lies ahead. Pain lies ahead. What you're looking for, you're not going to find in that sin. Right. 
We're to stand against that which is wrong. And by the way, we're to stand against that which is wrong when it's within our own political, uh, when it's within our own personal political parties that we lie in. It is not our job to be apologists for public officials. You hear me, church? Boy, I'm going to make some of you mad right now. I see some of you already frustrated. You're huffing and you're puffing. I don't want to hear about it later. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to enjoy my fourth. Don't come ruin my fourth talking to me about this later. Hey, when, so, when someone in your own political party or the political party that you most identify with messes up, it's the believer's responsibility to say, hey, that was wrong. What kind of hypocrite says, no, it's not wrong because the other people do it? No, we, we say it's wrong because God says it's wrong. Okay? All right. So it's not our job to be apologists for political figures. Uh, the only person that we endear our hearts and our love to is King Jesus, and he's the king who never disappoints. Ooh, man, I'm about to preach. We're to stand against that which is wrong. We're to stand with those who are oppressed. We're to stand with those who are oppressed. Uh, definitions mean different things in today's world. James tells us true and undefiled religion is that we help the widow and the orphan. And of course, in James's day, the widow and the orphan would have been without help completely with no one to provide for their family. And so James is saying, help those who cannot get help. Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now listen, we're fallen people. And let me tell you, we get this wrong a lot of times. But it's our job to stand with the oppressed, to love them. Why? Why? To proclaim the gospel to them. To proclaim the the gospel to those who are are feeling the, the weight of everything against them. We're to stand up with those who are actually oppressed and help meet their needs. Finally, we're to stand upon the gospel. Amen. We're to stand upon the gospel. It's our job to proclaim to our nation and to our lost and dying world the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? <clears throat> Republicans have never saved anyone from hell, and Democrats have never saved anyone from hell. Independence or Constitutionalist Party or Libertarian or whatever the next party is or whatever the party you identify with is, they never saved nobody. You know what has saved people? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you not to vote a certain way. I'm not telling you not to stand a certain way. I'm telling you that what ought to separate you from everybody else who you are around politically ought to be that paramount for you, priority for you is the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. What is the answer to our problems today? It is the gospel and the gospel taking root in our lives and getting rid of, getting rid of sin in our lives. 
It's getting rid of sin in our lives and getting rid of sin in their lives. It's getting rid of the sin that we don't like and getting rid of the sin that we do like. When we proclaim the gospel as, an, as a priority for us, it makes a difference. We have an obligation, a solemn obligation to stand upon the gospel. You know, there are many today who would look at Christianity and they would say, you know, Christianity is really getting in the way of a more enlightened and caring society. There are many who would say that. Many who would say that because of our position, uh, we cannot say love is love. We say love is what God says it is. Marriage is what God says it is. These words are what God say they are. There may be many people who would say, you know what, Christianity is getting in the way of a more enlightened society. And what I would say to you is, it's like we're on the edge of a cliff holding on to them, and we're the only thing holding on to them. And brother, it's a slippery grip. Because most of us are too concerned with whatever's over here in our left hand. We're too concerned with the things of this world. We're too concerned with these things that delight us for a moment. They're, they're good in our, in our eye for just a little bit. They entertain us. They take our mind off of the troubles of life. And we're not focused on tightening that grip, proclaiming the gospel to the lost and to the dying. It is our solemn responsibility to pray for our government, to pay for our government, to obey our government and proclaim to our government. My prayer is today, believers, is that you're, you and I are obedient joyfully in these matters. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.